0: Welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. I'm your host, Roger Abel. Molly informed us that this is our 70th episode,
1: Elias. I I can't believe it. How did that even happen? I can't believe they allow us to be on. Who, YouTube? Or all the of them? The podcast platforms? All of them. Well, you're awesome, so that's probably why they keep letting us participate. I appreciate that. You know,
0: you've been really excited to do this show all day. You came to my office twice. Are you ready to go? Are you ready to go? And I was just trying to charge my computer, but you must have yeah, something nothing, you really want to talk no, about today.
1: No, there's nothing. I'm excited. I mean, I like the topics we have to talk about today, but um, I just wanted to get it done, and then I I thought we were going to do it earlier than, than uh, what actually happened. So I just. I'm on this big kick of just getting stuff done when it's scheduled to be done. So maybe I'm charging too hard today. I don't know. We are actually
0: about two minutes early, so we're we're right on time. Perfect. Um, Imagine this. Many Americans aren't optimistic about their financial situation this year. It's a CNBC article I read the other day. I want to know the last time most Americans were really optimistic about their financial future.
1: Yeah, I would say, I mean, just knowing – kind of what I know and what we know about most people's money habits probably the vast majority of Americans typically aren't are not optimistic about their financial picture and situation but you know most people don't really understand money they don't really understand investing but then the whatever it is the 10 or 15% of people that do I would imagine those people are still still optimistic probably always have been um, but some of the things – we can talk about some of the things causing and I think inflation is a big one, right? Inflation is one of the number one reasons.
0: Well, I think people are feeling the crunch. Um, I know when I go to the grocery store, it seems like it's a lot more expensive than it was a year ago. I, and I try to eat fairly healthy, but you know, I can think of like three or four items that we buy for our family, and those three or four items are like $40. You know, By the time I go buy four or five pounds of apples and I buy – Couple pounds of grapes, and then I go get my wife some hummus that's, you know, from a great place in Iowa City, but it's expensive. It's like $30 my grocery bill on three items that aren't really going to fill you up, but they're healthy items. I just think everything's gotten more expensive. And we can look here, inflation, you know, was around 6.8% last year. Um, it's as high as we've seen since 19, 1982. That's the fastest pace of inflation. And, uh, One of the places people have seen this is at the gas pump. I don't know how many people you talk to, but I see the posts on Facebook. You know, it's $4 gas or 3 dollars half dollar gas. And I guess it's up, but I think back to, like, I own a boat. Well, I do own a boat now, but I previously owned a boat. And I remember, I want to say maybe it was 07 or 08. We'd have to go back and check. It was before the financial crisis. I was paying like four and a half dollars a gallon for gas. So even though gas is maybe more expensive than a year ago, I still feel like if you I just don't feel like it's that expensive. But I guess if you're looking year over year from an inflation standpoint, energy's up 33 percent. The one thing I read, and it's not in this article, I read in a different one this morning. But um, if you're heating your your uh, house with uh, natural gas. It's going to be 43% more expensive this year versus if you're using electric, it's only gone up like 6%.
1: Yeah, actually, we got a letter from, uh, because we're tied into the natural gas. So that's, we have natural gas furnace and then a natural gas heater in the garage. We actually got a letter in the fall, kind of like a warning from the gas company, the to expect higher prices. Who are you through? Um, is it um, is Mid-American the gas company? That sounds right. Yeah. yeah. And
0: I have the same thing. And I've been cranking my my heater on my garage, so I don't know what that bill is going to be. But yeah. I've and kept that it about
1: 70 out there all, all winter. Yeah. And then natural, this, it doesn't make sense to me. There's so much natural gas, especially here in America. So I don't know. I guess I don't know how the price needs to go up so much. There's plenty of supply of it, but I don't know if it's the access to it or... Um potentially pipelines that have been shut down or something. But I, that's one thing. We have so much, I don't see why the price is going up. But we got a letter that it's probably going to go up. and
0: At least they warned you. It is. Warned you versus, hey, here's a bill that you just absolutely didn't expect. And that's probably one of the hardest things for people is if you – most people are on a fixed income or – um are doing a budget each month. And if you're running a budget and all of a sudden your heating bill goes from, you know, I don't know, whatever, $150 to $230, that can start to throw a wrench in especially especially if it's, okay, your heating bill was $150, now it's $230. Your groceries used to be $150 a week, now they're 200 Your gas fill up used to be 50 now it's, you know, 65 bucks. All those things just start to add up. And one of the things I've found or saw in this article that I thought was interesting is I actually broke down the survey by those who thought their uh, financial situation would worsen in 2022. And the people that thought it would worsen, 79% of them were baby boomers, 73 Gen Xers, 53% millennials. And I started to just think, why would it be that baby boomers who, you know, aren't working arguably have done a fairly good job of saving Um, Why would they think their financial situation would worsen? And two things came to mind right away. This generation still has pensions that they probably received from an employer and Social Security; those are probably their two biggest paychecks for most people in their retirement. Well, most of those those pensions they don't have a cost of living adjustment. So, yeah, if inflation goes up seven percent, and let's say your pension was two thousand, inflation goes up seven, your pension's still two thousand. It eroded your spending power by 7%. And same thing with Social Security great. Social Security gave you a raise. If you go look at the Social Security benefits somebody gets, it's bare that raise is typically enough to maybe offset their Medicare Part B premium. It's not like they're getting this great quality of life increase. On the raise
1: on social security and what was it like five percent i, I
0: want to say it's five eight or six something i, I don't remember Still exactly it was
1: the other way less than inflation has been yeah
0: it's meant to be tied to inflation but then you millennials 53 percent. well maybe the reason they don't feel like they're going to be quite as worse off as baby boomers is they have the ability to one earn a wage if they're not retired two maybe they have assets like a home but they've seen this appreciation and value. And if they're looking at their net worth, if they're worried about building wealth, they're looking at their net worth saying, well, yeah, inflation went up 7% or my home went up 7%, but I'm locked into this 3% mortgage rate. And they see that as a positive. So I just kind of broke those numbers down and wonder if the reason the, the boomers and the Gen Xers, the people that are close to retirement or in retirement feel that way is because we're not getting cost of living adjustments but the other one could be there's very very little interest to be earned on fixed income investments which if you're a retiree you're trying to find a way to generate income from what you have and the safest ways for fixed income the problem is they don't pay anything so inflation goes up 6% and you bought that CD down the street at the savings this or the CD down the street at the credit union for 0.95% for five years, inflation six. I mean, she's never going to make it up. And people see that as safe. And we talk about it a lot. A CD doesn't mean safe. It means protection of principle, but it doesn't protect you against the erosion of your future purchasing power. Um, So I just thought those were kind of interesting things to pick
1: off in there. Yeah. So I wanted to add a couple thoughts about, and this is more from uh, probably a Gen X or millennial, um, perspective. And so inflation. Okay. So everyone, we've been talking about the bad things about inflation. Most of the stuff you read about is all about the bad things of inflation. So just a couple things. One, we always have inflation. It's not going anywhere. It's always going to be around. Is it always going to be this high? Probably not, but the prices of things will always inflate. So I just, I wanted to bring up some, I guess, things that I think, are positive about inflation. If wages are going up, and I guess one, good about inflation, but then how they can help an individual person, how it can help. So if we're coming out of um, a time where wages are increasing, so if your wage is inflating, and let's say like right now in the last two years you refinanced your 30-year mortgage, so you have an interest rate around um, 3%, and your wages are going up because just inflation is going up, period, and we know that uh, there's also wage inflation, um, your debt-to-income ratio is actually getting better. So if you refinance at a low interest rate and you continue to make more money, your debt-to-income ratio can start to look better on a monthly basis and, like you were saying, help your net worth. And the other thing is, Inflation does allow corporations and companies to charge higher prices, which would lead to them being more profitable and hopefully pay more wages too at the same time. So I don't want everyone to think that inflation like gets made to be this scary word and it's not all parts of inflation are bad and it's just part inflation is just part of the economy, it's just part of how money works. Here's one of the issues and
0: I'm gonna I literally talked to my mom about this yesterday. She's head of HR for a company here in town. And I said, because I knew we were doing this show. And I said, hey, I called her and she said, you know, it's really stressful for me right now. I'm getting ready to do year-end bonuses and payroll increases. And it just got me thinking as I knew we were doing this. I said, well, how much of a raise are your people getting? And she was 3%. 3% raise. And I said, well, that didn't even keep pace with inflation. She goes, I know, but that's what they budgeted. So just because we have inflation doesn't mean all people are going to get wage inflation. I mean, if you think about it, the employees where my mom works now, you know, inflation went up six six and a half, 7%. They got a 3% raise. They missed out. They missed it by 3%. They really need another 3% just to stay even from a spending standpoint. Like they yeah, may not they realize, depend upon their lifestyle, but it is. So that's the one thing about wage inflation. it It's not happening for everybody. But in general, we've had wage inflation in the country. So a couple of things, though, if, if you're one of the people who are in this category that feel like um, potentially you're going to be worse off this year, there's a couple of things we can do. Number one is kind of go reassess. You know, what, where you're spending your money, what you're spending it on. I always kind of joke every time, you know, I have to go through my bank account and my bills, always find a subscription or two that I've been paying for that I don't need. And I was listening yesterday to CNBC and they're talking about how everybody's been cutting the cord from cable. And everybody's streaming. I mean, not everybody, but a vast majority of people are now streaming. And when you originally cut the cord, it was cheaper went out and he had one streaming service. He had Hulu or Apple TV or whatever it was.
1: Yeah, the, even you 2 and 3 years ago YouTube TV was way uh, more affordable compared to cable than it is now.
0: So, the study just came out that cord cutters are actually spending more on a monthly basis yeah, than surprised. they were pre-cable because you've got you've got your Hulu subscription. Mine's like $104 a month. That's almost what cable is. I've got a YouTube subscription because If I'm not at my house, I can't watch Hulu. I got Paramount Plus because I want to watch, you know, 1883 and uh, Yellowstone. I've got a Disney Plus subscription. I've got a Netflix. I mean, you start adding this (laughs) up. I'm spending like $250 in streaming service, Showtime, HBO. And it's just one of those things that people aren't thinking about. What I should really do is just eliminate Hulu and just go to YouTube. But that would mean some pain. I'd have to reset up the DVR and everything. But if you're one of these people who are feeling like, Hey, I'm getting behind. One of the easiest things to do is just find the subscriptions that you can cut. I mean, I had like a Bassmaster magazine subscription that I've been getting for like 20 years. I get the magazine, like eight episodes, eight issues a year. I've had it for 20 years. The last like two years I've gotten it. I put it in my bag And it's never left my bag. And the next thing you know, I have like
1: five issues in there. Five unread issues. So
0: guess what I did? Came up for renewal. I didn't renew it. And it's not a big amount of money, but all those little things start to add up. I was going through my, another example, I was going through my cabinet one day at home, cleaning out my toiletry cabinet. I had like $47 Shave Club cartridge packets. It was like four per packet because I switched over to an electric razor but I still have my Dollar Shave Club membership going but how often do you ever log into that never it's 5 bucks a month I'm not thinking about it I got in and shut it off I did it a year and a half ago I still have cartridges coming out of my ears I have like a lifetime supply but little things like that are some things that people can do if you feel like you're one of these people who are starting to fall behind or or you're going to be be worse off this year. It's one of the really good ways to go through. Just tune up your budget a little bit. Don't forget to start paying yourself first. I created a freedom guide, I don't know, a year or two ago, and it's really a guide designed around really, really simple things you can do to help build wealth. Um, so if anybody wants that, there's a link in the description here, or you can go to btwellshow.com and you can download that guide completely free. Um, Download the guide and there's a couple of things, the ways in there that we believe we can help your financial picture. Um, and the steps that I believe are the appropriate ways to get to some level um, of wealth. So Elias, as we're talking about budgets, probably the guy who um, believes in budgets more than anybody's Dave Ramsey. And there's an article, I don't, and you read it cause you're looking at this, but I, I thought this was good cause we actually get this question
1: a lot. Yeah, we do.
0: And, um, It's an article, and it's really, is Warren Buffett or Dave Ramsey, who's right about mortgages?
1: Do you want to know my opinion or just who's right in general? Because this is like an opinion-based question, Well, I think
0: let's go set the stage for the people at home who maybe don't know who each opinion is. So on one end of the spectrum, you have Dave Ramsey, who um, he urges people to take the smallest, smallest mortgage possible, typically 15 years and pay it off in the quickest amount of time after they're saving their 15% for retirement. So, you know, Dave Ramsey has a set of baby steps similar to the guy that we created, but a set of baby steps to get people to what he believes is financial freedom.
1: And one of his most popular quotes is, I've never seen a foreclosed home that was paid for.
0: Well, yeah. And and I'm not I'm not telling you one guy's right or wrong. I'm here to give you the opinions of both. But just because you have your house paid for, just because you're out of debt, doesn't mean that you actually built any wealth at all through life, right? I mean,
1: I agree with you that. You could 100%. be 60 years old
0: and be debt free yeah. if you don't have any money. It's not any good. Um, so Dave Ramsey wants you to do a 15 year mortgage, 20 percent down, and then once you're saving 15 percent from retirement, throw all your extra money at this house. On the opposite side of the spectrum, you've got Warren Buffett, and if you don't know who Warren Buffett is, I can't believe you're listening to my show, Um, but Warren Buffett believes that you should have a 30-year mortgage or take a 30-year mortgage. He calls it the best instrument in the world. Warren Buffett is worth billions. He personally took out a 30-year mortgage when he purchased his home when he could have easily just financed it
1: why did he do that well i don't need to we don't need to speculate there's a quote right here i thought i could probably do better with the money than have it be an all equity purchase of the house and that he probably he, has i'm sure his house has not appreciated in value nearly as much as his net worth has
0: well here they have the number he bought the house for one hundred and fifty thousand in 1971 he put thirty thousand dollars down, so he did twenty percent down, which makes sense because that twenty percent saves you the PMI, primary mortgage insurance, or it saves you from doing a second loan that's at a higher interest rate. Just twenty is a good, solid number. And he's to a put responsible down. person. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it says right here, if he would have, uh, as a result, he ended up turning the hundred and twenty thousand into a whopping seven hundred and fifty million because Berkshire has gone up in value. Now, most people are not going to experience that. (laughs) But this is the question we get all the time. Well, should I pay my house off or should I put more into into retirement? And here's my take on it. And I don't think it's black and white. I just don't think it's black and white. Um, If you're like 50 or younger, I think you should be putting as much as you can into retirement. We had someone in last night. What was the age? Was he 34? Last night when he came in here?
1: No, he was, I think, 36 or 37 years old. Yeah, he's 37 yeah, not, years not old. even 40, so. Yeah,
0: 30 let's just say 37. He's doing all the right things. They're maxing out Roth IRAs. They're doing all this stuff. They're on a great path to retirement. We've done a financial plan. And, and one of the things that's interesting is every time he comes in, he wants to see the results of the financial plan and how he's progressing and growing. Well, last night he goes, well, maybe we should slow down this and start paying down the house. And I'm like, well, why would, why would you do that? He goes, well, I'd feel good about not not having a mortgage. And I said, okay, I understand that. But here's the issue. You're missing out on the greatest wonder in the world, which is compound interest. I said, if, if you accelerate this mortgage and pay it off in 10 years versus investing these dollars, that's a negative. Like, You may not be better off, but for the most part, compounding on your dollars, you're never getting the time back. I can't guarantee you're going to be better off, but more times than not, you are. And he was trying to accelerate payments on an actual rental property. So then it went down the line of, well, should I take all the money out of the rental property and invest it? And what was the answer?
1: Uh, Probably Probably not. not.
0: (laughs) Because we don't know. So it's kind of a fine line. Now, there's the other end of the spectrum, and I think about this a lot. I get the person that's in here that they're four years from retirement. They'll, they're, you know, three or four years from retirement and they're three or four years from paying their house off. And if you give me the same question, my answer is not to put more into retirement. It's typically just pay it off. And why? Because if you've got a $1,500 mortgage payment, The amount of money you're going to put in over the next four years before you start taking distributions out of your 401k or your plan or whatever you're going to do is never going to provide the same cash flow that getting the $1,500 payment, getting it out of here is ever going to provide. Because, I mean, how much would someone have to invest to get $18,000 a year guaranteed? They need to invest like half a million bucks to generate enough cash flow to cover that payment. So I just yeah. wanted to get him to knock out the payment.
1: Yeah, and most people, most people can't contribute at that rate. You can't contribute to get to 500,000 in four years. Absolutely. Most people cannot do that.
0: So, and then there's a third person who falls into this. And this is, i, I never forget, I had a meet with a client, and they, they're actually Dave Ramsey fans. And I'm not bagging on Dave Ramsey. It's helped a lot of people. He has good, solid advice. They're at 72 years old, they're not in great health. They got they just refinanced this house to a 15 year mortgage when they were like 68 years old, I want to say. You know, they done okay saving. They didn't have a lot of money, but they had done okay. And they could give me their budget down to the dollar. I mean, like they knew to the dollar how much the cable bill was. They were one of the best budgers I've ever seen. And she came in and she goes, Roger, I just can't get the numbers to work. Get the numbers to work. Like I can't figure out how we can have any type of lifestyle in retirement. And, and this
1: time they had a fifteen year. That a fifteen
0: mortgage. year yep, just refinance because Dave said we need to refine get it get it
1: years. Because that's what Dave Ramsey said. That's says what he recommended. Do. Right.
0: So they come in and they said, here's what we think our three options are. We could sell our house and buy a smaller one, or we could sell our place and rent somewhere. That's what they thought their options were. Go, Refinance
1: well, your house and rent your house. Was that your answer?
0: No, let me get to it. <laughs> it was simple. I said, well, let me ask you a question. What are you going to, how much is it going to cost you to rent? And I don't remember their payment was maybe like 1200 bucks, something like that. They're like all oh, like $800. Okay. So I get on, I run the amortization on a 30 year mortgage versus a 15 year mortgage. And it was like $150 less a month. For them to refinance their mortgage and keep their current house than it was to go rent. And what they were going to rent was like half the size and it wasn't their house. They didn't love it. So I just said to him, I'm like, let me ask you a question. What's the purpose of getting your house paid for when you're 84 years old? Who's going to enjoy that? Well,
1: nobody. Okay. Whoever inherits the property.
0: Yeah. It's somebody else's benefit. I go, why wouldn't you just go refinance this thing out to a 30 year loan? It's going to save you up 600, like $600 a month, whatever the numbers were. It's like 600 a month. And she's like, that would make everything really nice. I said, yeah, instead of trying to pay your house off, you're basically renting your house from yourself. So if you don't have it paid off when you're 70, maybe you just refinance to a 30 year to get the cash flow. Cause at some point you need some cash flow if you're not going to pay it off. So I don't think this is such an easy question as to, Hey, this is the route you should go with your mortgage. It's case by case. Every single person needs to assess for themselves. What's the right route. What makes the most sense for them? I mean, the only reason they would pay the house off is they really had this burning desire to give this house to their kids. I actually asked them. I said, are your kids going to sell this or keep it when you, when you pass away, they said, Oh, they'll sell it. I'm like, Then what's the point it's not like this has been in the family for 30 years and somebody wants to move in and keep it
1: right so the question i mean there's yeah you're right there's a lot more to it than you know who's right or wrong warren buffett or dave ramsey i guess the one one thing i'll comment on is here's a difference between just taking generic advice from someone like dave ramsey although it is good advice but that's what it is it's generic advice he doesn't actually meet with people and help them with their own personal situation. I mean, he takes questions on his show from people about their own personal situation, but he doesn't actually like, he doesn't do a financial plan for people. He doesn't meet with them about their portfolio. He doesn't answer real questions that they have. Like the question you're talking about. His
0: business only works because he gives sound general advice. He could never take the time to have customized solutions for every single person, because every show would be different. He'd spend a whole show on one solution for somebody,
1: so right. it's easier. And he's marketing a message,
0: and we've we've watched the show in times where he has to stick with his message, but you can almost tell he wants to tell the person something different. Remember the show that that uh, the gal called up, and it was um we did it we did a show about it. She had the student loan that was being paid for by the employer.
1: Yeah, right. But he
0: was almost paying to tell her to just pay it off early, even, and he told her to pay it off herself. She had all the money to do it, even though the employer was paying for it.
1: Yeah, one of the most confusing conversations I remember. And it got blown up. To.
0: It got blown up on YouTube. People are like, "This doesn't make any sense," but he has to stick to his very rigid process, and it works for him, and it works for people. So, in no way or are we trying to, to beat that up? Um, you know, one thing that Dave is adamantly about ab- against is credit cards, whether you're responsible with them or you're not responsible with a credit card. Um, and as we know, most people's relationship with money is not very good, so most people can't handle the credit card. What I didn't know is that 40% of Americans that have a credit card don't know what their interest rate is. That's actually shocking that you don't know.
1: So this is... <laughs> That headline, that title is relatable. I could not I could tell you in the ballpark what the rate is on my credit cards, but I don't know I actually don't know the actual rate, but I never carry a balance on them either. So it's never been relevant for me the to I know what the rate is. I don't know it.
0: my exact rate. I just know it's high.
1: <laughs> well, like, right. I know it's north of fifteen percent.
0: So I thought about this.
1: So I guess I shouldn't say I don't know. Here's why I, I think have pe- an idea.
0: Here's why I think people don't know what the rate is. I'll bet you if you did this survey 15 years ago, everybody knew what their rate was. Go log into your bank or go log into Chase or wherever you have your credit card. When you log in, you go tell me if you can see where the interest rate is
1: anywhere. On Oh, on your What's, online login? You probably have to look at your statement to figure or that out. Or maybe
0: a little sidebar, but when you log in, all you see is
1: balance. Balance, credit payment, score, rewards
0: and rewards. That's it. They don't show that. So I'm like, well, yeah, nobody gets this. I don't, I don't get a credit card statement. It's just auto deduct. Like it's just automatic set it and forget it. So is this like the sneaky little, um, world of credit cards that we're just not going to tell you what you're paying. You're gonna have to actually go search and figure out what you're paying. I can't believe that the interest rate isn't in big, bold letters. You know, they had the reform like how many years ago was eight, nine, 10 years ago, where they have actually have to tell you in that little box on a statement. If you pay it off in three years, this is how much interest you'll make. If you make just the minimum payment, it's going to take you 17 years to pay this off. I can't believe in big, bold letters on the online login. It doesn't say, hey, your current rate is 18.99%. In fact, the average credit card rate is 16.3%. How many people would think differently about using the credit card if they understood they're paying sixteen percent interest?
1: I mean yeah you'd absolutely think differently about it let's you reverse remember it. the uh like do you remember maybe you never had this but in high school like the business teacher would teach about the like the seventy five dollar pizza what a pizza would cost if you bought it on a credit card and then just paid the minimum until it was paid off no you guys didn't have that no that's what I always think about with uh Credit card debt and the interest rates on them is the $75 or $85 pizza. Here's what's crazy.
0: Here's what's crazy. You go to the checkout at Shields every time I go, Hey, sir, do you want a Shields credit card? Yes, I do. Get points. And those points would be valuable to me. I'm a preferred customer at Shields. No, I don't. People are signing up to pay 16% interest on their balance to get a $10 gift card. Could you imagine if I told somebody, hey, yeah, I'm going to sell you the house and give you a deal, 14.2%.
1: No, no nobody I'm buy not. a house. Right.
0: Hey, this auto you want to buy, this car you want to buy, it's only going to be 14% interest. Nobody buy a car. But they'll go swipe that card at every single store in town and pay 16.3% because they think it's different. It's a small balance, right? Oh, yeah, it's, you know, I have a, $1000 purchase, it's only 11 bucks a month in interest. It it just it boggles my mind how people think about this. Um but most people have no idea which it, that doesn't surprise me. I, I would I wonder if they changed the question a and said is your credit card interest rate under 10%, between 10 and 15 or over 15? How that breakout would be. Because like Probably you said, more you accurate. It, it maybe I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That would be sho it'd be shocking if let's say they did that and like ninety percent of the people said it's under ten percent.
1: No. That we, wouldn't happen. I don't know. No. Peop I mean it would tell you people whether people at least know it would know that. It would
0: I don't know. It would tell you do they tell you what the interest rate is when you take the car to Shields?
1: I don't know. But I do know that I know
0: they don't tell you what the interest rate is because you wouldn't do it.
1: I do know that. They give that you a little booklet. Right? Uh, I have a travel like Yeti coffee mug that says Shields on it for signing up for a Shields card before. Oh, you
0: you got suckered in?
1: I love it. Yeah, I love that's When I drive to work, I'm drinking my coffee out of that Shields travel coffee mug that I got for getting their credit card.
0: You paid for it. I've yeah.
1: never carried a balance on it.
0: The one month you do by accident, you paid for it.
1: Probably won't happen, but yeah, you're right, I would.
0: So here's, here's one thing, and I'm not big on this kind of strategy, but... You know, if you've got a credit card that you've got a $15,000 balance, you're paying 16%, it may be worthwhile for you to look at some type of a zero balance transfer, which they're going to charge you three or 4% to do that. But look at some zero balance transfer fee to try to knock that thing out and put yourself on a payment plan to get rid of it. Because otherwise, you know, on 15 grand, you're clicking away at, you know, 2000 bucks a year of interest.
1: Yeah. And our credit card interest is that figured daily too. I don't know. It's a great question. I, I think it might be. So I know. That, I know that, if
0: your your balance is free for like thirty days from the purchase. Like they don't start clicking it right away. So if you like, I pay my balance in full, so I don't pay any interest on that as long as I pay that. Correct, that amount by, the, by due the due date. date but Once, I'm talking
1: about when you carry a balance. I think it is factored daily.
0: You, you probably look up. It's probably in the fine print. Let's. What I'd like everybody to do is not worry about that because you're not going to carry a balance. Or just pay it off. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Pay off the balance. You don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Um, with that said, kind of a good show, Elias. I had good time today. Um, like we talked about earlier in the show, uh, go to the website or click the link in the description. You can download our Freedom Guide. The website's btwellshow.com. Um, with that said, appreciate everybody listening. Hope this is the great 70th episode